there seems like there's so many people that have found their own little niche or their own little style of fishing that they mm-hmm. kind of latch onto. And, you know, it's sometimes it's it is the urban stuff. It's exploring the, the concrete flats and fishing for carp on the concrete flats in just a completely odd environment. This is Robert McConnell, author of the books Fly Fishing the Sam and Fly Fishing Houston and Southeastern Texas. Robert is a disciple of fringe fly fishing and is addicted to those species not often associated with mainstream fly fishing. In today's episode, we unpack Robert's love affair with fly fishing urban waters and fishing for prehistoric species such as gar and bowfin. I'm your host, Gordon van der Spey. Don't panic, this is The Feather Mechanic. Let's talk about this book. Is this your first book? Um, this is my first book that actually went through the publishing process. Um, I self-published a book back in 2020. Um, it was a small book. It was less than 100 pages. Um, it was called Fly Fishing the Sam. And it was just kind of like a, a hobby that, that went rogue. It was all these little creeks wow. that I have um, in north of Houston north of the city of Houston, which is the fourth largest city in the United States. Um, and there we have like this um, wilderness area called Sam Houston National Forest, north of the city by about 60 miles. And so I had explored all these little creeks. Uh, I kept an outdoor journal, wrote down the little creeks that I had explored and, you know, taking my two weight or my three weight out there and just fishing for small panfish and, and spotted bass that live in the creeks. And so I wrote a book about that. Um, just all small stream tactics. Uh, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, so that's that's kind of how I started fly fishing was just small stream native brook trout kind of fishing. And then when we moved down to Houston, I, I applied those same small stream principles to the streams up in Sam Houston National Forest. And where where in Pennsylvania did you did you come from? Uh, I came. I, I grew up in the uh, southwestern part of the state, which is, that's, um, coal country. And so a mm-hmm. lot of the creeks growing up, um, like the Creek that was right behind my house that my sister and I played in, that was pretty orange from acid mine drainage. Whenever we were growing up, it looks great. Now they're cleaning it up and you know, there's, there's, um, uh, there's Creek chubs in it now and crayfish and, and, uh, you turn over some rocks and there's mayflies on the boulders and stuff. So it's, it's made a comeback. They're doing a great job cleaning it up. Um, but growing up in that area, I didn't really do a whole lot of fishing just because a lot of the, the waterways in the area were suffering. Um, so yeah. it wasn't until after college when I moved up to northern Pennsylvania, um, just outside of the Allegheny National Forest, that I started fly fishing because then I found, you know, native brook trout in a in a stream. And that kind of just blew me away that these like gorgeous, you know, native that trout awesome. were just living up there they're beautiful i've only ever caught one okay in the poconos oh sure sure yeah it was in a tiny little creek between two two lakes or reservoirs and and it wasn't it wasn't a great time of year it was probably in december or 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 november okay and and it was cold but i caught one so it was cool oh yeah oh that's that's also a cool part of the part of the state the Poconos yeah it's beautiful 
So, okay, why did you end up moving all the way to Houston? Yeah, um, so I I worked in the um, in the gas industry up in northern Pennsylvania, and um, uh, we moved because the 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 gas industry was was drying up at the time. There wasn't um, it was like pretty dismal for uh, in terms of prices, and so just a lot of people had stopped operating up in northern Pennsylvania. And um, Houston is considered the energy capital of the world. So um, uh, my wife and I were just basically we, we had friends down here, down in Houston. And so my my wife and I were just discussing like what our next move was. Do we do we try and ride out the downturn up in up in Pennsylvania, or do we come down here and just kind of make an adventure of it and and um, you know see what happens? And so in 2014 we moved down to Houston. And uh, yeah, we've been down here ever since. So it was, it was basically work that that brought me to to the Houston area. Okay, and you got stuck in straight away, looking, you know, looking for fish in small creeks and that sort <laughs> yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do you ever do any urban fishing, like closer to the city center? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, the urban fishing scene was something that that I, you know. Whenever I had first moved down here and I, I caught like a uh, – there was one day that I just caught like a dozen green sunfish out of a ditch that was along a bike path. And that was that was kind of the, the catalyst that just like took me into this world that is, you know, the fishing scene in Houston. Um, uh, and then and then I was researching and found, you know, other guys uh, that, that fish down here um, and that have – uh, actually made a living doing it, or at least supplemented their living doing it. Uh, there's a guy, Danny Scarborough, who is a uh, who's a guide that um, that works down in the Houston area, and he does everything from urban carp to bowfin and bass up in the um, the Piney Woods region in Sam Houston National Forest, which is north of the city. And then there's an, an older gentleman. His name's Mark Marmon. He's been um, fly fishing for grass carp in in the city ditches and actually guiding doing it as well um, since the 80s uh, he kind oh, of yeah he kind of got started um, uh, just like messing around with the carp in the ditches and then he knew that you know a lot of people from Europe fly to Houston for for business and so he knew that carp fishing for um for his, you know, European clients was like a big thing, but taking it to the next level and like carp fishing on the fly in the city was like a totally different experience. And there were, you know, most of the, most of the Europeans understood how good, good of a game fish a carp was. But, you know, at that point in time, I guess Americans still really didn't know that it could be, you know, that, that much fun fishing for carp. And so, um, I still kinda... think they're underrated. I mean, I, a lot of people see carp as a trash fish. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but, but hook a carp and see what it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You know? Change your mind real quick. <laughs> Especially a 30-pound grass carp, you know, that's that's <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the ones that we get in, in our ditches, they don't – they like the, the record uh, for right now – that's in the books. Danny Scarborough caught, and he, he did it on a dry fly, and that one was 16 pounds. And I think it was it was pushing 40 inches. 
Um, so they don't get like they don't get massive in our urban ditches, but I think a okay. lot a lot of that has to do with the fact that they just they wouldn't be able to fit in these in these ditches. You know, they we um, we we call it the concrete flats because what it is is it's a cemented in ditch um, mm-hmm. that has a shallow apron on on either side and then a okay. deep channel that runs through the middle of the ditch. Okay. And so when the water level is is optimum, that shallow apron gets flooded by about a foot or so of water. And so most of the fish are like hanging out in the deeper section of the ditch that runs right through the middle. But they'll move – in order to feed, they'll move up out of that deeper section and get on what we call the concrete flats or that shallow apron. And so that's that's when you can actually like stand above, you know, on the edge of the bank and look down and see them, um, and you can actually sight fish for them. You know, you can see them moving um, along the along the apron, feeding on the bottom, or just finning in the water column and looking for algae that's floating by or bugs floating by. What do you mostly catch those fish on? Um, so there's you can. You can fish from with a, with a variety of different things. There's some flies that I found that look, that work really well on them. Uh, Danny Scarborough, he tied what's called a um, a brass hawk, and mm-hmm. if he ties it like in, a, in an olive green, and um, it was designed to mimic a, a, a head a headstand style damselfly nymph, um, mm-hmm. and that works that works well. Also, there is a pattern called a bully bluegill spider. Um, that was developed by Terry and Roxanne Wilson. They live in Missouri and they, they tied that fly, I think in the sixties. Um, and what it is, it's just, you know, chenille, um, wrapped mm-hmm. around a hook with just some rubber legs, real simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and that works really well, but, uh, you know, you have to upgrade the hook. You can't be throwing a light yep. wire bluegill hook to, to a yep. grass carp. So, um, so that works well. Uh, there's another one that's, um, Mark Marmon tides that's called a, a Bel Air bonefish fly. It's just a, a miniaturized crazy Charlie. And, uh, you know, it has, um, pheasant, um, pheasant tail as the, uh, as the body of the fly. And it's just, uh, it's just like real, real simple stuff. It, it, they really, it seems like these grass carp, when they're feeding, they don't, they can't afford to let something drift by, you know, they, they only get so many opportunities cause it's not, you know, they're living on basically like the moon, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> concrete, uh, you know, barren concrete world. And they just see a piece of food float, float by and they, they sometimes you watch them race for it, you know. <laughs> okay. But that's quite amazing. I mean, so you're basically doing flats fishing in the middle of Texas. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah. 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 The concrete flats. That's so amazing, man. We <laughs> yeah. You know what? I love that kind of thing. I like fishing in unexpected places. And I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things that's changed about fly fishing over the years. You know, 30, 40 Uh years ago, if you said fly fishing, people immediately thought trout. Yes. Yeah. But nowadays you can fish for anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gordon, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that's what's so much fun about being in Texas, because it's it's like there seems like there's so many people that have found their own little niche or their own little style of fishing that they mm-hmm. kind of latch onto. 
and you know it's sometimes it's it is the urban stuff it's exploring the the concrete flats and fishing for carp on the concrete flats in just a completely odd environment or it's like uh, kind of e- equally as as interesting but tending to the more traditional sense is like exploring the creeks um mm-hmm. whereas you know if if it was if it was trout country it wouldn't you wouldn't have a, a second thought you'd be like oh yeah of course you're exploring the creeks but mm-hmm. but it's a different quarry and it's not trout and so you know it's it's a whole another aspect to to fly fishing that really that really hasn't been explored very much um and it's you know creek fishing for warm water species um like spotted bass you know uh, you basically just paddle really slowly going over uh, weed beds and you just find these fish laid up in a weed bed, maybe halfway sticking out of the weed bed. And it's a very much a short game. You know, you're, you're hardly making a long cast at all. A lot of times you're just kind of plopping the fly down in front of them. And it's, it's awesome because you'll just see their whole, their whole dorsal fins start undulating and they'll just kind of like hover out of the weed bed going after your fly. And then if they, if they, you know, go fast and they just whip that tail, then they really can scoot. And uh, they're just an extremely powerful fish. They're just a lot of fun. And they're like, they're like the big bad fish of the backwaters in the, you know, Houston area, them and Gar, you know, they're both dinosaurs. They're both ancient fish. They've been around for a long time. They can both supplement um, their oxygen intake by gulping uh, air. So they're just, they've been around for a long, long time. You know, they're just a cool, native fish and are you catching these on on streamers or yeah is that the main way of catching them yep yep yeah mainly mainly streamers um you know a lot of times like the bowfin you kind of want a, a hook that rides hook point up so like a clouser is a good one to use because you can kind of plop that down and they're mm-hmm. usually in weeds and stuff and like you don't really strip them all that fast for a bowfin mm-hmm. you know you kind of see them they they see you but they just are such a a bad fish they really don't care that that you're there you know (laughs) and then you just kind of like strip it a little bit get it out in front of them and like strip a little more make it make it do a little movement but it's kind of just sitting on the bottom and then they'll they'll swim out and nail it oh that's brilliant yeah they're they're a cool fish and yeah i kind of just i keep going back to what you said about how things are changing with with the way people perceive these non-traditional species and i that's that's so much fun to me uh you know what i like about what you're telling me you don't like we kind of live in a in a world where where fishing has become about catching fish and and not just catching fish it's become a very egotistical thing in a way like i hate saying that but but if look at instagram you've got all these guys these Big ass fish, water dripping off them, and <laughs> the photo the photo's been been photoshopped, so the colors are like bright and, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and but you know, like I was sitting on a river the other day and I realized something. You know, it's it's not about me catching the fish, it's about what the fish do for me. You know, like uh-huh. just from a just from a like a just from me sitting there being quiet and like, I don't have to catch a million fish to be happy. You know, it's it's not about, it's not about catching millions of fish. It's about 
being connected, eh? Because you go to these small yeah. places, you're all on your own. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you can get a church that's better than a creek. <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah. no. Think about this. Think about this. I, I mean, God is more present in a creek very often than he uh -huh. would be in a church or he or she or whatever will be in a church. Uh, yeah. It's nature. It's it it's all about connection. You can you can have conversations with yourself while you're out there, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Conversations with yourself and just thinking and yeah, just I mean, when you're standing in the water, you're standing in in the natural world. It's it's you're uh, part of the environment. You're not you're not just some like external force. You are part of that food chain, man. Yeah. Yeah, and I I agree with you. I think I think I think there's no better place to be than that, um, you know, in a in a waterway, just by some yourself. Of the, not some of the nicest fishing. times I've ever had. We're also fishing for fringe species. We've got a thing called a called a Cape Kerper, it, it, and it's a okay. tiny little fish. And and I sit there. I take the dog for a walk, and and I catch them in the dog park. I take <laughs> no my fly rod with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we catch them in the dog park, and they. They're, they're like small. They're not big. They're they probably like a a six inch fish would be big. And the one year I caught one of like twelve inches. Mm -hmm. And and but I didn't know at the time. I just got you. I didn't know at the time that that was actually like a world record. Type of thing, <laughs> no, you know? no, no, it was. So it was like it was like massive. And I showed a couple of people this this photo, and they're like, "Holy shit! Where did you get that? That's like that must be a world record." I'm like, "What?" Really? <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Yeah, let's um uh just you talking about what it means to you and like regardless of of you know what Instagram thinks or, or anything like that. That's that's why I I enjoy fishing the small creeks and you know I I get some some a little bit of flack from it from doing that side of fishing too, where it's like, well, why would you fish for long ear sunfish, which sounds, sounds similar. You know, it's like a fish that you can easily hold in your hand. They don't get much bigger than the palm of your hand. Mm -hmm. um, uh, like, why would you spend time fishing for that when you could go catch, you know, Florida largemouth bass, which they stock in, in Lake Conroe. And mm -hmm. because it, to me, it's, it's not necessarily about the fish. It's the fact that I'm in the Creek I'm catching long ears all day. They're beautiful, um, oranges and, and reds and blues on their face. And they're just a gorgeous fish. And I don't see a single person all day long. And it's just me in the water and the fish and, um, my two weight, you know, and it's just, yeah. uh, to me, it's like, that's, that's, that's what I want. I don't, I don't want to be competing with power boats um, out there, you know, with motors ripping around and, and all that. I just want to hear the water and hear the wind in the trees. And, you know, when the sun goes down, you hear the barred owls hooting. And it's mm -hmm. like, that's, that's fun to me. But listen, yeah, okay. Aren't you afraid? Cause you've written this book now. Aren't you afraid that people are going to descend on your place, place of peace? No, I yeah, no, I'm I'm not that concerned about it, Gordon. Just um, there's a lot of there's a lot of water in the Houston area. So the Houston area itself has 2,500 miles of waterways, and that's mm -hmm. that's not even looking at the salt water at all. You know, the the salt okay. water is within an hour drive of Houston, and actually most fly fly anglers in the Houston area that's where they go. They go down to the salt, um, 
Like that's that's usually what most people in the fly fishing realm consider like the crowning jewel of Texas fly fishing is the saltwater. Um, but if you look in and around the Houston area, there's 2,500 miles of bayous, creeks, streams. So there's there's way more water than anyone could even explore in a lifetime. And there's there's each each one of these little these little areas, um, you know, you can find, you can find likely miles where you're not going to run into a soul. Um, it's just not that, it's not that heavily fished. Um, it's in fact, it's a resource that in my opinion is probably underutilized. Um, I believe Texas parks and wildlife, they, which is like our, you know, state, um, Mm -hmm. state governing agency for wildlife. Um, they, I forget what the number is, but they, they estimated that it's like, like the waterways in Texas in general are vastly under, underutilized that, um, that they could accommodate many more sportsmen than actually use them. Um, which is, it's an interesting idea because, um, because Texas, there isn't much public land in Texas. There isn't a lot of, um, like state, state forests where, you can go hunt or fish or anything like that. It's, um, but what we do have is we have our waterways and our waterways are open to the public. Our, our, uh, laws are very lax when it comes to the right for the public to use our, our waterways. Pretty much if you can get in the water, uh, or get in the stream bed, you have, you you, you have a right to be there. So it's, that's it's a, brilliant. I like yeah. that. I think yeah. that's cool. You know what I also like about it? If you think about this, anglers are the eyes and ears of the environment in a way. Oh, yeah, because, absolutely. I mean, if, you, if you're if on your favorite creek, right, you're there and you go week after week after week after week. If yeah. there are any changes in the environment or if there's any pollution or there's been a spill or there's been a something, you're going to be the first person who sees it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, if that right. creek is out there somewhere where no one goes and people are dumping acid in that river or whatever the case, sewerage or whatever the case might be, no one will know about it and that stream will get lost. You know, the populations yeah. of fish will get lost. But because people are utilizing these places, they kind of uh, we kind of guardians of these places in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and Gordon, like I've known that I've known guys in the Houston area that have alerted the, um, the environmental um, uh, governing agency in Texas of things like fish kills. Um, mm-hmm. There's another um, fly shop in a Creek over in central Texas, where um, basically the, the guy that kind of put that, that fishery on the map, uh, Brushy Creek, uh, you know, he, uh, he noticed that a water treatment plant wasn't uh, discharging water properly. It was just distur- discharging a bunch of sediment from mm-hmm. the wastewater treatment plant just directly into the Creek. And he called that in and brought that to the attention of the authorities saying, Hey, there's something malfunctioning here with your old uh, uh, wastewater treatment plant. It's just dumping sediment into the Creek. So uh, 100%, the guys that are out there fishing are the guys that are, you know, they cherish these environments. They, they want to keep them clean. Can I ask you a favor? Yeah. I want to quickly go and put my potatoes off 
and then grab some water and I'll be back with you in two seconds. Is that okay? okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm Good. busy cooking supper while I'm chatting to you, by the <laughs> okay. way. You, yeah, right. you... uh... Okay, my potatoes are off and I've got my new water. <laughs> okay, nice. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Oh my word, Gordon! I'm uh, I'm like about, I'd say a third of the way done with the um, feather mechanic. Yes. Uh, it is awesome. It's I, the way you wrote it is um, and the, the like the illustrations and everything. Um, it's it's exactly, it's it's making me look at a lot of the of the fly tying differently. Um. Like when you talk about it in your intro, just being like, okay, you know, you have your fly pattern and you have your recipe, like, uh, in all your other, you know, in, in a typical book and you just follow these steps and you tie the fly, but then, yeah, like half the time you see that it's not really, <laughs> you know, you're like, man, well, that's not exactly what they did. How do I make it, you know, how do I make it look like this pretty picture? The way you approach it with actually going into the details on how to make your wraps or um, or like the actual mechanics of the material, um, I think it's it's awesome. It's it's gonna make it's gonna make me a better tire for sure. Dude, that means so much to me. Oh no, it's the, it's great. The next I'm, one's yeah. even even more detailed, actually. Oh, okay, cool. When when the, is that coming out? Well, I'm hoping it comes out in the next four months, four or five months. Okay, nice. But oh, that, I mean, go. that the one you've got there was just me introducing it. I haven't even unpacked it all. Oh, and okay, that, awesome. And, and then we just introduced the whole idea of, you know, think about what you needed to do and then try to do that. And that's what that book's about. And then the next one's about the detail. Oh, I mean, okay. there's so many small things that people – that people don't even think of or don't know sometimes that make a massive difference. Oh yeah. I, I think, I, I, yeah. And I, I think this is, this book is very, very helpful when it, when it comes to that, I was actually talking to my wife about it um, too. Cause I was like, man, this is, this is like exactly what I need. Cause some of the tying, I feel like I've like, like there's things that I, that I tie that I think I tie well. And then there's other things that, that I, I struggle with. And I think like a book like this is going to help me get beyond that plateau where it's like, okay, and I now actually understand this technique and I, I can, I can go beyond. Well, that's you know, the thing, I'm you know what you actually got to, all you have to do. I mean, I battle too. There's certain things I battle with. All you have to do is you have to tie and you've got to think about what you're doing. You know, when mm -hmm. you're tying the fly, a lot of people, a lot of people just, just tie by numbers and they, they don't think long and hard about why their fly looks shit or, or why it's <laughs> yeah. not working or why. No, they don't. They like I, you, I can tell a lot by looking at a person's fly box. I can tell you a lot about that person as a person, but also as a fisherman, you know, yeah. good, good fishermen, like especially guides, look at guides, fly boxes. They look mm -hmm. shit. Yeah, yeah. They look shit. Yeah. 
flies are everywhere. Their holes everywhere. Why? Because it's a well-used fly box, you know? Yeah, so yeah. You're asking us another question. What what occupied that hole there? Like, what was that, you know? Yeah. Uh, and and they don't have time to to sit there right, an right. hour on a pattern. They've got to churn that thing out because it needs to catch fish. And that's yeah, what yeah. it's about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How long have you been tying for? Um, oh, let's see. Um, probably well over ten years, I guess, because I kind of like picked it up right as I started. Um, right as I started fishing, it just kind of went hand in hand. You know, it was. Yeah, so I uh, 2010, I'd say, is when I got started tying. Okay. You got to kind of do the both together. I mean, it's yeah. like like if you if you if you kind of met Bob Marley and Bob Marley didn't roll his own, you would like kind of look at him with like this kind of look, you know? Right. No, you do. You've got to roll your own. I mean, and fishing's the same. It's exactly the same. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I said we don't trust him. people who don't tie. Like I, you know, this, I know I shouldn't say stuff like that, but that's how I kind of feel, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I, I, I I think it goes hand in hand. It's just, yeah, it's just, it was a natural thing to do. Cause you're like, oh man, yeah, this fly fishing is fun. But then also I can spend time like gearing up for fly fishing when I'm not actually on the water. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. I'll start yeah. tying. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, yeah. you you kind of fish while you tie. Like yeah. I oh, think yeah, about yeah. where I'm going to go. I, I, yep. I think of, I sometimes think of the exact run I'm fishing in or the exact fish. I mean, I know certain places where fish live and, that fish is always there, and I go and I, you know, go catch that fish. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah, it's very specific, species-oriented as well. Like, oh, I'm going to go out carp fishing. Okay, well, I'm going to get my headstand flies in order, whatever. But the um, the other part in that I, <laughs> that I really like in the book, and it's one that, that I'm like, um, I'm glad that you addressed it because I'm a, I'm a closeted – one of these guys and that's like a guy that will see some roadkill or something like that on the side of the road and then pull over for it and pick it up. Or at least like, okay, I see a, you know, a dead raccoon or whatever on the side of the road. And it's like, well, I mean, if the carcass is too far gone, I probably can at least salvage that tail or whatever. You know, Dude, the base stuff <laughs> is stuff you pick up. Yeah. You'll be amazed at the shit you find just walking around. Yeah, yeah. Every yeah. morning I walk this dog. Okay, I do live in Africa, so that is cool. I mean, we've got lots yeah. of cool shit flying around here, I must tell <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And I walk the dog, and then there's like 20 guinea fowl you <laughs> yeah. know, while we're walking. And then she chases them, and then they drop feathers. And then I go, and I pick up all the little feathers. And then there's a squirrel that, that the neighbor's cat has killed, so I quickly get its tail. And then every now and then there's a there's a thing called a a, a gymnogen, okay, which which lives at my house. It's 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 this massive bird of prey with a wingspan of two meters, and it drops wow. feathers every now and then. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is actually quite amazing. You know, I walk the dog and I get all my fly tying gear in the process. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And you talked about the, um, you oh. talked about like using. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Say, say, say. Oh, you you talked about using um, 
I think you said mole fur or uh, something like that in the in the when you were in the dubbing section of your book. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, and I've never tried that, but um, uh, it's, it's coming up soon. Here we're going to be probably moving to outside of the city. Um, mm-hmm. uh, just we we had a, a kid, and we kind of just want to get outside of the city a little bit and raise him up in more of a more of a uh, country a little bit. And there's mm-hmm. a bunch of what are called pocket gophers that are in the yard of this house and you know, they eat your garden and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. we're going to try and trap them and get rid of them. But after I read that section in your, in your, um, the dubbing about, uh, using mole fur, I was thinking, Oh man, I bet pocket gopher fur would be an interesting dubbing material. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Gopher. What did you get him on? The gopher. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Imagine the gopher. (laughs) What did you get him on? A gopher. <laughs> a what? <laughs> I once tied a fly with a dreadlock. <laughs> really? Oh, like yeah. okay. I was stoned at the time, but but <laughs> um a friend of mine has dreadlocks and I said to him, I wonder if this dreadlock will make a nice extended body for a dragonfly nymph. Yeah, yeah. And and, and he donated me five dreadlocks. I was quite amazed. <laughs> and like, the fly was never any good, I must tell you. I don't know why, but but at least I tried. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you might be onto something. It's almost like a mop fly at that point. Just harder, you know. So maybe that was the precursor to the mop fly. Who knows? Maybe yeah. I came up with the mop fly. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm joking. God forbid. Oh my word. <laughs> No, don't get me wrong. I like the mop fly and everything, but yeah, you know, I prefer to tie a fly. Not to, yeah. uh, just, you know. <laughs> oh my word! So, okay, let's talk about the book. Okay, so you wrote the first book and you self-published. Yes. Why didn't you self-publish again? Talk to me about that. Um. Well, uh, so my editor for the second book, uh, Fly Fishing Houston in Southeastern Texas, um. Uh, his name's Aaron Reed, and I got connected with him after I wrote the first book, which is called uh, Fly Fishing the Sam. And um, uh, Aaron Reed had written Fly Fishing Austin and Central Texas, and that mm-hmm. came out right at the same time as my first book, Fly Fishing the Sam. And so I could like look at Aaron Reed's book, and I could see, you know, what an actual published book with you know, glossy pages and nice finished um, uh, layout and all that stuff. I could see what that looked like compared to my self-published book, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I did a, a good job on my self-published book. I, you know, I, I had the layout, um, the layout is aesthetic and I've got inserts and, and picture descriptions and all that, but there's just, there's something missing, you know, compared to an actual published book where, where it's just like missing that that finishing touch, and then mm-hmm. also, um, you know, there's maps in in Aaron's book that are professionally done, and so anyway, after seeing Aaron's book compared to mine, then um, Aaron and I started talking, and he was like, "Why don't you write, you know, the Fly Fishing Houston and Southeastern Texas book, and I'll be your editor," and so you know, after some thought, I just said, "Okay, that let's let's do that." And um, so that's kind of why I, I worked with a with a publishing company on the second one um, it was just because I knew what the finished product would look like, and you know, to me it was it was more professional and it was more appealing 
Um, and so, you know, it was, it was an interesting process. There's, there's things that, that I liked about it. And there's, and there's mm -hmm. things that, you know, you don't have that autonomy as an artist to just say, no, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a layout this way. You know, it's like, they already have, the publisher already has the idea of what the layout should be. So, well, look, I mean, I would have never got, got away with half of the shit I did if I went through a publisher. I mean, you've yeah. read my book, like the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. how I speak. I'm like, a lot of people say, you can't say that. Well, why not? Why can't I say that? I want to yeah, say yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. And like, that's that's the kind of the stuff that, I don't, I don't know if you if I could say like you lose that, but you have to fight for it a little bit more, you know? Um, like yeah, for instance, yeah, yeah. Um, I, you, we use QR codes in, in this yeah. book, the Fly Fishing Houston book. And um, all that they are, you know, you just scan them with your phone. It takes you to the, the, the parking spot. So you don't have to like sit there and type in your, the X, Y coordinates to get to the parking spot. You just scan it with your phone and says, you know, do you want to go here? You click yes on your phone and then it pops up the driving directions and you just go. And like, that was an idea that, that I got from climbing guides that I put in my first book, fly fishing, um, the uh, Sam. And then Aaron, my publisher and I were like, man, let's do that in this book, fly fishing Houston. And it was one thing that like we had, we had to fight for a little bit with the, with the publisher. You know, he didn't, he didn't necessarily want them. And we were like, well, you know, this will be the first fly fishing guidebook that has QR codes. And it's a, it's a cool new step, you know, integrating technology into the book. And, and eventually we, we got it, but, you know, it took some fighting. And if it was just me, I would have been like, yeah, let's put them in, you know, no problem. No, no second thoughts about it. No, but that's good. I mean, and it's also good to have, you know, other eyes on your work because yeah. the, the 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 other problem is that it, it, it sometimes you need people to question you. You need to say why did you do yeah. that? You know. Yeah. I mean, I've yeah. got it too. I I don't I self publish, but I've got other people checking up on me and asking me the hard questions. You know, why did you say that? Why did you do that? Why did you, you know? And that that makes it a better book in the end. That's what that does. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're absolutely right. You know, and yeah. as you've probably noticed, a book is not a one-man show. I mean, there no. are lots of people involved in the making of a book. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like the the maps that that my publisher created for for this book for like the inside cover. I mean, they're they're so nice. They're like very professional. They're um, you know, it's a, a guidebook without like a map is is not you know it's it's missing like a, a key part of, of what the guidebook should be. And well, that's quite amazing that you've done that because you're telling people about these fish and about, uh, you know, fishing for them. And then you're showing them where to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, who I does that? I mean, hello. <laughs> no, who well, does that? Everyone keeps quiet. No, no, yeah, that's my fishing yeah. spot. No, no, we won't tell anyone about that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, it's like everything that we had have talked about with, you know, one, there's, these are non-traditional species that, you know, imagine if, imagine if you could get a, a, a kid that lives in Houston who has never even seen a trout before, you know, grew up, grew up in, in, in Houston, uh, doesn't trout fish, doesn't do any of like the traditional fly fishing things, but yet he owns a fly rod and is out on the creek every day. But instead of catching trout, he's catching spotted bass or something like that. It's, um, you know, you're going to make that kid into a lifelong angler and a lifelong a 
advocate for for the creeks and for the fish and so it's just one of those things that's like man if and and the other thing is like with this book is you you i wrote it so that you don't need fancy equipment you don't need uh a skiff you know that that you take down to the salt you don't need a big bass boat um you know at the most you need is a kayak which oftentimes you can find that on online you know use kayak online for like less than 200 bucks or whatever mm-hmm. um you know so um but then there's, there's a lot of spots in the book too that are just wades you know you just walk in so uh, all you need is your typical fly rod anything from a five weight down to a two weight and i uh, handful of flies and you can go catch fish and that's kind of what i how i wanted to approach this book i wanted to make it so it's not like this big daunting thing because sometimes with the salt you know it, it can be daunting you know you you need a boat or you need uh yeah you you need at least a, a, at the start you need like a guide that understands the the salt and can get you from the boat ramp all the way into the the marsh in the back looking for redfish and with this you don't really need that you just can park your car and walk into the water and be fishing in two seconds. I love it. It's accessible. Yeah. Yeah. And probably not expensive as well. No, it's not. I mean, mean, you probably in Houston have water like five, 10 minutes from your house. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a Creek that has carp in it that is within walking distance of my, of my, I mean, five minute walk within my back door. (laughs) That's brilliant. I mean, what more do you want? That's that's great. And there's a lot of places like that in Houston. Like you, yeah, like you just said, it's just there's it's extremely accessible. And if you just look at the water a little bit of a different way, instead of saying, "Oh, that's not worthwhile fishing," because it has carp in it or whatever non-traditional species you want to say, it's got gar. I'm not going to bother taking my fly rod out because I only go fly fish for, let's just say, cutthroat or brook trout or big brown trout like uh, that's the only time i ever break out my fly rod well then like how how much fishing are you actually doing you're going three times a year you know where if you're a kid in houston and you just have your fly rod and jump on your bike and go to the ditch after school you know you're fishing almost every single day so you know th- that's those what are we did as kids that's what we did as kids yeah exactly we didn't have trout i mean even we used to catch okay so we've got like 11 probably more yellowfish species in South Africa. We used to go, I don't know why, but they always put sewage treatment plants next to rivers, okay? Yeah. So there was a sewage treatment plant near my house, okay? It actually was near the zoo. And there was this little river called the Arpis River. Arpis means monkey. So basically the river was called the monkey. And next, and, and in this river, with small-scale and large-scale yellowfish. We used to cycle there with our fly rods. We used to nymph for them and catch these things in the middle of the city. And I was (laughs) like, holy shit, how can fishing be this good in the middle of a city? Like, how is that even possible? Yeah, yeah. But what's sad about it is like 30 years later, I I went back to that river about six months ago when I was there, and it's dead. It's literally there aren't even trash fish anymore. Fish that oh, can really? survive nuclear holocausts and shit. <laughs> that, like it's it's dead. And like I look at that and I go, but this was great. What happened? Yeah. 
you know and it's kind of sad yeah 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 i mean maybe if there was maybe if there had been people that were carrying on that fishing tradition down there gordon you know like guys that were still going down there catching carp bike biking over there and catching carp maybe you know maybe they would have been the, yeah, that's, been my the point. that's my point exactly because i mean yeah. i i grew yeah. older and i moved and i never fished that again and i yeah you know but but and that's I think we need to promote that, you know. We need to to promote fishing in schools. A lot of a lot of people like are are very against competitive angling and all of that thing. But if you think about this nicely, competitive angling does one thing and does it really well. It gets the youth involved. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and organisations as well, clubs. But what I noticed is speaking to a lot of clubs, younger membership is dwindling. You know. Yeah, you've got to do something that appeals to kids, and and competitive fishing is one of those things. Kids like competition. That's how kids are wired. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's a good and, point. I never thought of it that way. No, no. Think about this. Think how many kids who who start competitive fly fishing go on to become guides, go on to become uh, work in fly fishing shops, go on to be it. It's it's a whole different thing, and it's. People villainize these people sometimes, but you, you've actually got to think about it. It's not just about catching millions of fish. I've I've comp fished before, you know. I yeah. I learned a lot, and I and I met some really cool people doing it. It's it's not all doom and gloom, you know. People yeah. people sometimes make it out as if it's no, nah, but that's that 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 they really have this misconception about it. That said, you do get people in comp fishing who are assholes. Let's not let's <laughs> yeah. not let's not lie, but. In the same way, you get people in social fishing who are assholes too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, not all fly fishermen are nice people. Some people are horrible. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we tend yeah. to want to think of, oh, we're oh, yeah, in this wonderful sure. sport and there's a bunch of saints who practice fly fishing. It's, that's not the case. People are no, people. No. It doesn't matter what they do, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, but I I would like to think that fly fishing personally makes me a better person. Yeah, I I I would like to think that too, just because it's, I mean it, it's, it's a good reset for me anyway. It's like a good way to just spend some time with myself or with other people that I enjoy, and just um, you know not think about anything else at at the moment, and then. You get recharged, refreshed, and then you know you can go back to Carry the daily on. grind. Yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. And I think you know I think we have to do that. We've we've got to. I mean, you can't always go and and spend five days fishing, but you can take an hour off in your day and quickly go cast to some sunfish or yep. to a bluegill or you know whatever the case might be. Right, and that's cool. I mean, some of the most fun I've ever had was fishing hoppers to bluegill yeah, in yeah. South Africa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Schools oh, yeah. of these things were like just swimming beneath the surface. And if you throw in a little dry fly, I, I don't know if they were spawning or if they were getting ready to spawn or what the case was, but you'd have like 30 bluegill nailing your fly all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know what? If they made bluegill the size of, 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 of like, 
cocker spaniels, we'd be in deep shit. You know that. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, how aggressive is that thing? That thing would no, take your so leg good. off if you were waiting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there wouldn't be sharks anymore. They'd just be eaten by bluegill. <laughs> you'd, you'd have problems. Yeah. So, so, you know, people look at a bluegill and go, oh, that thing's tiny. Well, not if you're an ant, it's not, you know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and not if you're throwing two weights at them, you know. Yeah. And it's form then it's follows alive. function, you know. You, you yeah. you're not gonna go fish for that thing with a with an eight weight. It's not yeah. about that. Get your Orvis super fine product placement. Huh. I'm joking. Get your whatever <laughs> no, I just like Orvis, it's cool. Just get yourself uh you know, your cool little one weight and and, and, and go do it. It's it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I don't even have a fly fishing vest anymore. I chucked that thing away. I was like, <laughs> oh, waste of time. I've yeah. got a, have you heard of something called a moon bag? Uh-uh, no, I haven't. So it's this little pouch that you put around your waist. And and it's, people keep their wallets in them sometimes and their ID book or whatever the case might be. It's a little pouch. And all it's got in is tippets and a fly box and my degreaser my floatant and that's it done huh okay i mean for your type of fishing that would be ideal yeah that actually sounds perfect no because you don't need to carry all this shit man yeah yeah you know you don't you don't need to be heavy you don't i mean how many flies do you actually fish let's think about this now do you go through a hundred flies in a day oh yeah no not at all i mean it's yeah so, I mean, how many patterns do two, you fish three. in a day yeah yeah well, like you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then you go and you carry 5,327 patterns. Why? <laughs> right. <laughs> Let me tell you what. If by pattern number 15, shit's not working, the fishing's going to be shit, irrespective of what you throw at them. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's, so it's like, that's the cool thing about fishing. It's as complicated or as simple as you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, that kind of goes back to what you were saying about the guide flies, you know. Just simple, buggy-looking flies that you can tie a dozen of them in, you know, in the evening Dude. after you're done guiding, and then guys take them out. Guides the worst flies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you take I them out the next day and play I, with them. I look, at, I look at their boxes. I go, "Holy shit! Where did you learn to tie?" But then, <laughs> but no, but then take that guy on a stream with you. He will fish the pants of you. He will like <laughs> right, your yeah. ass right. with his. With these guide flies. So like I don't mock or I don't scorn or I don't I don't ridicule these these shitty flies anymore. Because let me tell you what, if it's tied to catch fish, it's gonna catch fish. Yeah. Well and you kind of address it in your book too. You're like, Well, you know a fly gets good after it gets chomped on a couple times and kind of gets shredded up a little bit. Gets like a little bit more disheveled and then then you were saying in your book, it's like that's that's when you know that it's going to get even better after that. <laughs> oh, it gets that worn-in look, man. Yeah, yeah, worn-in look. It's like, a, it's like a couch. When a couch is new, it's not cool. But once you sat in <laughs> yeah. it for three years, it, all of a sudden, it, you know, now you're feeling it. Ah, that's cool. That's that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. No, I love it, man. Okay, tell us, where can we get this book of yours? Yeah, um, so you can find it on on pretty much any major online retailer. Um, you know the the big ones like uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can get it at uh, Better World Books. Uh, you know pretty much any online retailer of of books. 
um, if you're in the Houston area, it'll be carried, uh, should be uh, carried by Gordy and Sons, which is um, a, one of our fly shops, um, should be carried there shortly here. Um, uh, we should have a shipment going down to them here shortly. So um, pick it up there too. But uh, yeah, if, if for anybody who just wants it shipped to them, just any, any old on, online retailer will can find it. It's a fly fishing Houston and southeastern Texas. Okay, and and I mean, can people contact you? Uh, how oh does that yeah, work? yeah, sure. Um, yeah, uh, actually, the Give probably us your email address. Give us your like. People email <clears throat> me all the time, bro. Yeah, yeah. Probably my my easiest the easiest way to do it is to go on uh, the website that I started for my first book, which is flyfishingthesam.com, and you okay. can there's a contact. Um, section there uh and that will email me um at uh it's uh info at flyfishingthesam.com but if you just go on flyfishingthesam.com and go to the contact part that's probably the best best way to okay that's brilliant that's brilliant and you know what i just want to say this to to people listening it might be a book written about houston but panfish and all these other fish you know, whether you find a panfish in Houston or a panfish in some other place, it's a panfish. The methods right. and the ideas and the techniques are transferable, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for saying that, Gordon. Yeah. No, no, but that's good. Dude, you know what happened with my first book? Yeah, and it so pissed me off. It actually helped me too in the long run. But I went to a publisher in New Zealand and I, I approached them with this book and they, they were about to publish it. And then they went, hang on, where are you from? And I said, South Africa. They're like, oh, that's never going to work. We need a book <laughs> with New Zealand patterns. Oh, and I was no trying to way. explain to the woman, I was trying to say, but it's not about the patterns, guys. Yeah, you actually yeah. read this thing. It's about the oh, ideas. No it's about the philosophy. It's about the – and then she said, no, 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 we're not interested. And you know what that did? I had to self-publish. And and wow. and that's been a good road for me personally. So yeah, uh, okay. She did me a favor, but that's kind of like, you know, patterns don't catch fish. Patterns that behave in a certain way catch fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's about presenting the fly. That's yeah. the, that's the prerequisite. Uh, that's yeah, the entry level requirement is being able to present the thing optimally. Yeah, right, and you, right. And if you can't do that, you've you've got a serious problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, That's it's, the difference between guide flies and flies you buy in a shop. A guide's fly is tied to present. They tie that thing. They you you they they always tell you. Sorry, my fly looks a bit shit, but trust me on this. Just put it on. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, do yeah. It. yeah. Just fish where I tell you to fish and. You'll catch them. Just do, do it. Put how it I where tell I tell you. you to put it. You're yeah. gonna be fine. Trust yeah, yeah. me on this. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, guy exactly. comes to me. He he he's going to New Zealand. A friend of mine. He says to he, he gives me a handful of flies, nymphs, and he says, "Please tie me a box of nymphs exactly like these." I'm like, and I look at them, and they are terrible. They are tied so badly. They're like, "Are you sure you want them tied like this?" He says, "Dude, tie them exactly like that." I'm like. Can't I tie them better? He says, no, no, they must be exactly like that. And, 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 and then he says to me, not a single fly in that box is allowed to be identical. I'm like, huh? what? He says, mate, 
make subtle changes with every fly because in New Zealand that's important. Sometimes you'll put on this nymph, fish will reject it, but you'll put on what looks like the same thing, but the tail will be like half a millimeter longer and the fish will take it. So, <laughs> and, and, well, and then I looked at this guy's flies, this, this, this guide, I won't mention his name, but he's like one of the oldest and most respected guides in New Zealand and he catches shitloads <laughs> of fish. Yeah, yeah. On these like grade one flies, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, oh, man. No, brilliant, man. Yeah. Listen, yeah, I'm glad Michaela contacted me and I'm glad we got this going. Yeah, yeah, me too, Gordon. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot for I was I was actually you know. fearing this because I, I, I didn't have a lot of preparation on this, you know. That's the yeah. thing. <laughs> no, normally I research things and I've I've got a like I know your life story better than you know your life story kind of thing, you know? Uh-huh. Okay. I like I'll phone your mother and say, Right, what did you do for his sixth birthday? <laughs> And but like with this, I was like cold. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's it, it kind of sounds like fishing in South Africa is not too dissimilar from you know Houston stuff, where it just if it's going to eat a fly, you know, we're tying a fly and throwing throwing it at it, you know, and seeing what happens. Like, uh, you know, I mean, sure, they're you know, you can you can do trout fishing as well in in texas it's about you know three hours west of us there's a there's a tailwater um that holds trout but you know you can also just bomb some some uh small dries or whatever to to bluegill in the ditch behind your house too <laughs> dude thank you very much for coming on the show i really appreciate it and it's been a blast talking to you yeah it's been great thanks thanks a lot gordon thanks for having me listen yeah and, and if i ever come to texas can i come fish with you yeah oh man i'd love that that'd be awesome <laughs> okay let's go catch a bowfin okay all right definitely okay. definitely okay, i'm 100%. excited for your next book too gordon i'm really Dude, enjoying this, this one so i'm excited for your next one thank you thank you thank you if you have any comments let me know ways of making it better or whatever okay okay yeah absolutely let me know okay <laughs>